Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and I would like to welcome all of you to your mutant alternative to NPR's Code Switch, because... <laughs> That's what we're going to compare ourselves to today. I like that. We are going to be talking about topics that, as to... White dudes who, you know, live in the suburbs or in the rules as I do, uh, we may not have the best views to talk about this, and we would have loved to got someone a little more qualified to bring some color to this uh, if we wouldn't have waited until uh, Saturday to start reading these and realize that we were not prepared. Hey, but I think we're going to do I good. I think we're going to be okay. All right. But we have to warn people because usually you tune in for that good, good X-Men content. There's not going to be a lot of X-Men in the stories that we talk about today. In fact, the majority of the characters we're going to talk about are cops. They're 5-0, you know, they're feds, they're narcs. But I promise there's some X-Men stuff hidden inside this episode that you're going to want to listen to. Right? These these are X-Men stories, to be clear. <laughs> yes, they are. It's just in early 2000, guys, the world was in a weird place. Mm-hmm. For some of you youngins out there, if we have any if we have any teens listening to this, you may not know what like 2002 to 2005 America was like, but boy was it wild. <laughs> The shield had just come on. People were real into dirty cops and all this stuff. And it's not as great of a look in, you know, the the year of our Lord 2019. But it it sure is. We should probably just get into it instead of, uh, you know, walking around this. Yeah. Okay. So um, our first book is the four issue miniseries volume. It's two. not. It's not. It's, it's not, not volume that, two. No, that's not our first book. Oh, I'm sorry. How dare you? I got him How out of order. How dare you? Because right. our first book is our Patreon oh. request yes. from Patreon supporter Mike Rappin, who he went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. He supported and he got an entire episode crafted around his suggestion. And his suggestion was Mutant X. Nope. 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 <laughs> you got it nope. wrong, too. We're we, two for zero for two. <laughs> we both screwed up. It's District X, numbers one through six, Mr. M. Yeah. Uh, this was written by David Hine with art on uh, four of the issues by David Yarden, mm-hmm. uh, one issue by Lan Medina, and one issue by Mike Perkins. So, I mean, like on art, these are all guys who are still working in comics and still doing pretty good. Oh, yeah. This. I like the way this looks. This has a nice naturalistic feel to it. Um, And this is an interesting series, to say the least, my friends. Uh, So if you don't like a certain X-Man as a cop, you may not enjoy this particular series, but I I liked it. This is Cop Bishop? Uh, Yes. 
working in what's essentially the mutant ghetto of New York, which I like as a concept. I really do. I like mutants as a subculture. We've talked about it on this uh, podcast just over and over. Like, I think there's a lot of really cool ideas that happen in this, you know, post-Morrison era of X-Men. Mm-hmm. Execution, a little iffy on almost all of them. But I like some of the ideas on it. I like that this is just such a departure from regular X-Men comics. Um, You know, our whole story begins with crooked cops um, getting involved with a situation where there is a a siren-like mutant who the the situation uh, ends up in a police shooting um, that is then covered up by one of the partners. I I don't know. I, I feel like right off the bat, we're in, you know, a very specific real world um and it doesn't feel like a superhero comic it feels like you know its own universe to a certain extent yeah i i agree with that uh the one thing that i think doesn't work as well is the fact that you know bishop is a main character in this and he is brought in by the uh by the fbi uh sent to help the nypd solve uh this case in mutant town uh, but he's partnered up with Officer Izzy Ortega, mm-hmm. who is a crooked cop who doesn't seem to face any repercussions of covering well, covering up uh, police shootings and several other things, which is not not great. Yeah, Izzy's got his uh, his moments where he's a good guy and some moments where he's not. So you know we're dealing with uh, sort of that gray area. AMC protagonist kind of character here, right? When did the shield actually... Okay, so this is two years (laughs) after the shield came out. So they were saying, okay, that's a very popular show. How can we make Michael Chiklis Cuban? Yeah, when does The Wire come out? I feel like we're we're maybe seeing an influence there, too, you know? Um, The Wire came out in 2000... Okay, so yeah, The Shield, The Wire. This is very much a product of its time. Yes. For good and for bad. Because I think what you're touching on there's a lot of interesting ideas mm-hmm. uh actually there's one more uh there's one more tv reference i want to uh find out uh when did ice cube uh start working oh. on law and order <laughs> svu <laughs> since uh, 2000 or ice t excuse me yeah, uh, because tea. there's a point where someone literally says yeah there's this new street drug that all the kids are doing it's called toad juice Get some real high. <laughs> Get him from licking this toad boy. And that that's is... not realistic. Also, I ran their numbers in my head on mm-hmm. how much toad juice they were producing. The fact that toad juice, as a plot point, will super murder anyone who's not a mutant who does this drug. Well, can we talk about what toad juice is? Because I, I feel like... Folks may gross. have never heard of this series, and Toad Juice is literally there is a kid who looks like a toad. Who he's not is, the toad though. No, he's not, not the, the toad. But his his tears, his sweat, everything that comes out of his body makes mutants like super high. His mom is addicted to him to the point where like she's licking him and strung out. And I just thought this was such. I don't know. I thought it was really fun um, and a brilliant concept for like what's behind 
a you know a certain uh, drug war that's going on in this storyline that there's this See, kid that i don't know i thought it was cool you didn't I thought like it was it? super gross and i did not oh. like thinking about it oh it, it was is disgusting. so super gross yeah it, it's so super gross but but I think that one of the things this story does pretty successfully is kind of identify why the humans are kind of put off by, um, you know, the mutant subculture that's going on in this town, because almost all of the characters that we see that have powers are not fun powers. You know, no. one of the crime bosses, he when he gets angry, he smells really bad. We have to this yeah, toad kid. Frank. Who gets people high from his secretions? Um, the the detective's wife um, goes into like a protective gelatinous orb at night, you know, and then okay, and then okay. sloughs hold it on, off during on. the day. Can we can we talk about his wife? Because yes, he has a lot of angst about his wife. Yep, yep, and having to sleep in a separate bed with essentially a wife who's too sweaty to sleep next to. <laughs> yes, and as a married man, I'm running this in my head, and I'm trying to figure out. It's like. Well, like, you can still, like, cuddle, and you can still do pretty much anything you need. It's just when she's asleep, she's gonna be in a bubble. But yes. you shouldn't be worried about that, my dude. You shouldn't be so angsty. Also, his wife goes on a pro-Castro rant for, oh, yeah, like, a whole yeah. page out of nowhere, <laughs> and it never gets brought up again. And I'm baffled by it. Well, you know, there's some Che Guevara t-shirts in this and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot there's of... There's a very good Remember Genosa, Genosha t-shirt. Yes. That I wish you would see more of that in uh, in Marvel. It makes it feel more like a subculture because, of course, the murder of, what, 14 million mutants would be a big deal. Um, Absolutely. I mean, what I think works here is the world building. Um. I do think that, you know, if you're coming here for Bishop to be Bishopy, he's not. He's basically just a cop who occasionally has powers that fit into, you know, the storyline because he can absorb and redirect. And he really only uses his powers like maybe two, twice, maybe yeah. three times. Um, I I really do like the ongoing investigation of the two rival crime families going back and forth and trying to steal the toad juice kid back and forth from each other. I think the thing that doesn't work so much for me is um, the, the, you know, ongoing background villain is the, um, the titular Mr. M and that part of the story just was weird to me. And I, I don't feel like it really wrapped up very well in these six issues. Are you, are, are you talking about Absalon Mercator? Uh, Which is yes. a very evil villain name. His name is Absalon. <laughs> well, you don't know he's evil at first because he fixes toasters for his neighbor, and that's not a, a big deal. But, oh, you know, by the end, he's basically like, you know, God incarnate, and they, they have to figure out how to stop him. Um, but, you know, that part of the story doesn't work as well. I think when, when they're doing the whole we're on the street beat, uh, kind of deal going from scene to scene. I, I like that part of the story. I think that that's interesting. Um, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think there is interesting plot. I think there is some interesting ideas here. Mm -hmm. I'm just not personally a fan of all the ways it develops. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would love to see, I would honestly love to see an idea like this be, tried again in 2019 like let's let's get out of the age of x-man 
And let's get into this mutant subculture stuff because I think there's so much potential in stories like that. And that's why that's why I'm fascinated by this era of comics because there's so many things that they've never tried before and they've never tried since. Yeah, I think that it's a bold, uh, you know, idea. It's a bold choice. I think that it points the, you know, Morrison's idea of Bishop as a detective in a way that is um, a little bit more interesting and palatable, you know, as opposed to like whatever was going on in the new X-Men run, which I'm not a huge fan of. It's not on our list, but do you think this story is better than Murder at the Mansion? No, but you know, I don't, okay, okay. I think we okay, need to. Okay, I, okay. I think we do need to identify that. Um, and, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this. Is that you know Bishop? Nobody really knows what to do with him after the '90s. You know what I mean? Right. And there is this reinvention of him. Um, I you know I've I've had conversations online uh, back and forth on Twitter with uh, Everett Christensen about this you know and his uncomfortability with Bishop being a black man and being a cop um regardless of whether he's a future cop or present cop or whatever it is and I, I can kind of you know I don't come from that perspective but I understand where he's coming from that you know just the setup of this alone is a little bit interesting I think it's more palatable here um, just because he just seems like he's a normal detective, except occasionally when he uses his powers. Um, I think, I think Bishop comes out better here because the other cop, the two other cops that we see in this story are so obviously worse. Yes. Like yes. we know they are bad, corrupt dudes. Bishop, there's a lot of subtext that doesn't look great if you reevaluate it, but within the context of these six issues, he turns out pretty okay. I would mm-hmm. say I would say he's a little bland in these six issues, but Yes. Yes. But I think that works in his favor because it lets the world go around him. You know what I mean? The covers make it seem like Bishop is the main character. He's not. Um, you know, he is a player in this story and uh, you know, he allows it to move forward, but he's not the main character. And I think that works to the story's benefit. Um I think that what I'm seeing here is kind of what I would have wanted out of, let's say, Claremont's Extreme X-Men stuff, Mm -hmm. where, you know, trying to tackle some things that are more on the ground, you know, not superhero-y flying through the sky, you know, blowing things up, but but things that are a little bit more concrete and and, uh, local, shall we say. Um, So where do you think this goes on our list? Um, well, we have 183 stories on wow. our list, ranking every X-Men story ever. Uh, the top story is Days of Future Past, followed by Astonishing X-Men Gifted and God Loves Man Kills in our top three. In our bottom three, we have NYX, Phoenix Legacy of Fire, and The Draco. Ooh, boy. Yeah, guys, we got to keep saying it because it doesn't stop (laughs) being false that the Draco is bad. The Draco is still there, whether we want it to be or not. So, yeah, so I'd I'd say this is a pretty top heavy list. There's stories that I like that are in the bottom half of this list, just to be uh, just to be clear. So uh, where do we think District X Mr. M comes in on this list? Uh, Let me let me uh, throw out a comparable story that i think this is a good amount better than okay and that is poptopia at 163 
this is definitely better than Poptopia, I would say. But I, I like where we're starting, you know, that that end of the list. Um, but I do think that this is um, maybe a, a little higher up in the list. Um, it tells a cohesive story. It's taking some risks. And I think it's pretty successful in trying to capture the zeitgeist of this era of cop TV. Um, you know, even if some of its elements don't work as strong as some of uh, as, as maybe we would like. Mm-hmm. So um, how about this as like a comparison point up at 146, we have murder grandpas. And under that we have uh, extreme X-Men expose. I was just talking about extreme X-Men. Is this better than those or are we going lower than that? This is probably better than that murder grandpa's story, but just a couple spots up from that at 143 is that savage Wolverine two-parter come uh-huh. conquer the beasts where yeah. Wolverine deals with poaching. Yeah. And I think that story's better than this. Okay. And below that, we have The Death of Colossus in Uncanny 390. Is this better than that? No, but I think it's better than 145, which is uh, Monet, Monet Vampire, Vampire Hunter Slayer? from Generation X. All right. So we're saying this is going in where? This is going to be our new... Our new 145. Perfect. All right. That is District X 1 through 6... Mr. M. Mr. Awesome. M. All right. I'm thank sorry you, I jumped Mike. the gun on our... Uh, oh, please make the thank you. I, I'm interrupted. Oh, I, I mean, I did. I, okay. I successfully said both thank you and Mike. So <laughs> that's where I was going with that. We can say thank you, Mike, again. He deserves it. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you did jump the gun. Uh, Apologize. For, for a forgotten story i don't think this has ever been printed in trades but it just got added to that app uh this year or Mm -hmm. i guess last year at some point because i remember first reading this in floppies because it was the only way yep yep so what is this zach this is x factor volume two yes so should i be expecting either the uh cyclops or havoc version of the team here Nah, you shouldn't even be expecting the Jamie Madrox version of the team, or the Shard version of the team, or the one that Polaris ran when they were a company. (laughs) Yeah, this is not an uh, X-team-centric book, though we do get glimpses of uh, the new X-Men throughout um, the four issues. But um, you want to give a little distillation of what we're what we're looking at here because this is a very interesting book that has a lot of parallels with what we were just talking about yeah so this is written by jeff jensen who's a uh, prose writer who did this a captain america or a backup in a captain america story and then a a story in x-men unlimited which might be one of the worst stories in x-men unlimited which is saying something it's the story where Beast falls in love with a cat mutant that Jean oh Grey reads the cat mutant's mind and finds out it's not a mutant that looks like a cat. It's a cat that kind of looks like a person. <laughs> and she, it's, it's not good. Uh, but uh, Arthur Ranson, who did Extreme uh, X-Men Expose, also does the art on this. And this is interesting. This follows two agents on the FBI's Mutant Civil Rights Task Force. Agent Catherine Gray and Agent Aaron Curse. 
And they go and they solve four mutant crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, One of them's, I mean, what are the crimes, Adam? Well, they kind of, some are more interesting than the others. One involves, uh, you know, a, a mutant that is has been lynched onto the uh, Hollywood sign. Another one involves, uh, I, I liked this one a, a little bit. I thought this was more interesting, was the uh, baseball player who is secretly a mutant and has the, the home run ec- uh, record. So, and then there's uh, a hate group that they track down. Um, and what's the fourth one? Um, the fourth one is they find out there's a conspiracy within oh, the t- FBI. Yeah, cons- and they were gonna, and somebody wants to blow up uh, the X Mansion, right? I think that's. By the how... way, that the 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 bomb in the X Mansion stuff gets resolved off panel, <laughs> yeah. intentionally. Like, and that's a good thing. That just tells you what kind of story this is. Is that's not the important part. I think that uh, Jensen does an incredibly good job keeping it focused on these two humans and these two people who have good reason, even though they're on the mutant civil rights task force. To dislike mutants, like they have inherent biases. Yeah, they uh, maybe Catherine, they maybe picked the wrong uh, people for the task force. <laughs> they they may have known what they were doing too. Yes. Uh, remember, this is this is a government that owns mutant genocide robots, right? And it, and uh, it turns out that they're they're without them realizing it, they're part of a conspiracy, um, right? But it, I think it's interesting. So. Uh, Agent Catherine Gray, she had a child who was a mutant, mm-hmm. and it was a child who had firepowers, uh, but had an early onset of her mutant ability, and the child died because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And the other agent, he had a severe injury trying to take down a mutant weapons dealer. Yes. Uh, who basically and- withers his, uh, his, what is it, his right arm. So he's getting a bionic replacement, very, very shield-like there. Um, but I guess they have access to that in the FBI. That that actually made me made it feel like not realistic, but like acknowledging this is still a Marvel Universe comic. Like he can get a robot arm. Yes. Um, and and the other thing that really makes it feel almost like um, the Marvels uh, by Busiek is the you know occasional appearances of one of the new X Men. Or the new X-Men as a team, but they're never, you know, they're either seen individually or they're seen in shadow or they're seen as someone is sort of like passing out. So you never really get a good look at them, but you know, they're there and you know that they're on the case, too. Um, But we're seeing this from that. Yeah, I I, love that. That I think it works really well. It's an incredibly powerful use of imagery and a very good shorthand to put you in the position of these agents that are saying, yeah, I, as a reader, I know the X-Men are okay. Like, they're the good guys here. But you don't trust them. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they're going to do. And it starts to it starts to turn the wheels in your head of, okay, like, this is why they're hated and feared, isn't it? Well, and I think what the, the series does really well um, is, especially with the main character who... Um, is the one with the disfigured arm. He is really grappling with his own uh, just straight up intolerance and racism. And he's sort of trying to regulate that with his faith as well. 
Um, and I, I, I think that that's really an interesting way to have a POV character in an X-Men comic book. W- would you agree? Yeah, I think it was I think it was fascinating because over the course of these four issues, he grows as an individual. Yes. He he challenges his own biases. There's a uh, in issue 3, the case that they're trying to solve is the bombing of a mutant church. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a sanctuary church. So it was run by humans but had a lot of stuff for mutants who were refugees or just on the run for whatever reason. And he has a conversation with his uh, with his partner, and he pretty much says he talks about the church that he was in, and she asks, you know, are are you guys a sanctuary church? How do you guys deal with mutants? Because he's a very religious man, and it takes him another issue, but he gets to a point. And he says, "Yeah, I we voted on it. The church voted it down, and I sat there and I did nothing. Right? I didn't I didn't vote one way or another. I let my own." uncomfortability with this new thing my own racism get in my way Mm -hmm. and by the end of the series he's not a perfect guy but he has learned that you know what i need to i need to challenge my own biases and move forward and i think that's for me that's something that you know is relatable as i was you know growing up i had to start realizing hey maybe some of the stuff that i said and did in high school was kind of terrible Mm -hmm. and maybe i need to like change myself and i think that's a very powerful realization for a lot of people and i i think this comic gets it across just very well yeah i i do think that if he was the only pov character that you know there's something a little bit slight about you know the white man learning about his own racism um but it is balanced by Catherine gray who's african-american her storyline is also i think very interesting though i wish it got a little more airtime um that her mother is part of sort of a mutant resistance group she actually works with the x-men um they kind of play her up as you know a, a civil rights uh advocate somebody who maybe worked on the you know the original civil rights movement in the sixties um, and is still carrying on the cause today. I, I liked that storyline too. I, I wish they had expanded on that a little bit more. You know, it's kind of like the idea of, you know, a child of maybe let's say the black Panthers or something like that, or, or somebody who was working with Malcolm X and then having to put that into contemporary, um, you know, focus for this particular story. I, I wish that it was explored a little bit more that way, but, I, I don't know if the author was really comfortable with with delving into that as much. Yeah, I, I, I think there's you know two real good, fascinating parallel stories, and two people who both develop over time. Like, like Agent Gray, she has to learn to care about that stuff and has to learn to get past her fear of what happened to her child and her anger of all that. Yeah, it, it never gets fully resolved which i think is good Mm -hmm. like it this story doesn't end with a neat bow on it both characters are in a better place but you don't know what's going to happen next and i think that's a very good place to leave them i would love to see these guys pop up again i would think it would be fascinating absolutely fascinating um and I, i gotta give the series credit because aside from just the two main characters and their pov Um, especially the second issue that explores this idea of this, um, you know, world uh, or home run champion 
baseball player who happens to be a mutant that could have cheated with his powers, but chose not to for his career because the home runs thing, the baseball actually focuses him away from using his powers. Like that's a kind of story that you would not usually encounter in an X-Men comic book. However, it is legitimately about a Marvel, you know, a Marvel mutant and it's interesting and, and has depth and, and it has humanity to it. So there's some really cool stuff happening here. Yeah. I like this. I like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I the think art, it's... the art is great. Uh, oh, we yeah. didn't talk we about that. We haven't but... talked about that. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> the art is outstanding. Like, and it's, it's consistent throughout the whole thing. Very, very detailed, very realistic. It, it makes it feel lived in. It makes it feel, um, you know, real. It makes you feel like these are real people. And I think it works to its favor. I do too. So uh, let's let's look at, look at how it's going to fare on our list. Uh, I'm going to throw out something that I think is a good starting point and a good comparison point. Okay. And that is Chamber 1 through 4 by oh. Brian K. Vaughn. Okay. That's at 27 right now. So it's at a pretty good spot in our list. I don't know if I would go that high. Okay. I don't know if I would go that high. I was looking closer to... Recently, we just did the initial Genosha arc. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, which has a lot of world building and has a lot of really good... um, you know, sort of allegorical stuff about what was going on um, in the world at that time. I don't, I don't know if this is up there in our top 30, if only because there are some other X-Men stuff in between it that I think is just, is just better. You know, I'm looking at right. 33 Rogan Gambit. I'm going to revisit That's that. That's pretty good. Before Rogan I Gambit's this. pretty good. Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to revisit Morlocks, I think, before I revisit this, too. Which is which is another one that's a very good point. I think, to me, yeah. Morlocks is the ceiling. Uh-huh. But I think you've hit the floor right there. Like, if it's not better than Welcome to Genosha, it's better than that first arc of uh, X-Men, X-Men 92. 92. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, um, I, I got to say, I think this is probably better than Wolverine, Lord of the Vampires. Um, I do too. Is this better I, I than do too. That? in my heart of hearts? Yeah, I, I think it might be a good thirty-eight. You know, go right below Morlocks. They're they're a good comparison to each other. Right below Morlocks and yeah. right below the or right above the first arc of X Men Legacy. Yeah, does that work for you? All right, that works great for me. That's a good showing for X Factor Volume Two. Yes. Uh, you know, good job, team. Definitely worth checking out, guys. Uh, some some really you know very unique stories from this universe that you wouldn't normally see. That is true. And now our last story on this list, this is more recent And Adam, we get to do a story with a high number, which is fun. (laughs) I know, I know people freak out about like, Oh, numbers on comic books are so weird. It's fun when I get a rank a story that has a 500 in it. Yes. And this, this is an actual, more of an actual like X-Men story than the other two we just I mean it's a story about. with Cyclops in it. Yeah. And he talks. Yeah. Yep. And Wolverine has chef knives instead of it. Oh man. This is this is Uncanny X-Men 130 to 134 Quarantine. It is written by Matt Fraction. Uh Kieran Gillen comes in at uh 531 mm-hmm. and I believe he scripts the rest of it. 
uh, with Fraction so. just doing the plots. They yeah. they were kind of co-doing this as uh, Gillen was taking over the book mm-hmm. uh, with art by Greg Land. Oh, boy. And, uh, oh, boy. Just to be clear, this is both a uh, note for our listeners and a note for Adam. We're going to avoid all of the standard Greg Land jokes because they're played out. <laughs> all right. Can I talk? We're going to take a critical eye. Can I at least talk a little bit about how everybody's smiling when they shouldn't be? You can. But after that, after I mentioned that Paul Renaud does uh, part of one, or 534 as well. Yes. Uh, this is a story where all the X-Men get sick because of Sent- Sentinel nanobots. So they have to have replacement X-Men, uh, a team of Storm, Dazzler, Pixie, Northstar, and Angel running around San Francisco. At the same time, Loeb, the CEO of the Sublime Corporation, uh, is giving out inhalers to rich kids to give them mutant powers. Yes. And at the same time, Emma Frost, Phantom X, and Kitty <laughs> Pride have kidnapped Sebastian Shaw. And are going to do things to him. Emma wants to murder him really good. Yes. Um, which doesn't happen, but uh, it's a great combination of characters that you would not have expected to be on this revenge mission. Yeah, the revenge mission is, to me, far and away, the best part of this. Like, it's got some heart. You get some really good Emma content, which... You know, action, action, fraction was always, always so good at. Wait, you mean uh, your favorite part isn't that collective man is trying to take over Chinatown? <laughs> I do hate the collective man. He's five guys. All he is, it's five guys, burgers and fries, but a communist. <laughs> uh, he really leans into that communism, too. It's it's interesting. I know um, we said we were an anti-fa podcast last episode, but... I'm pretty sure that the collective man is more about all the bad parts of communism than he is any of the thing about like helping out your neighbor. Oh no, he just wants to extort everybody. That that's all it is. But um, this, I I thought this was so playful and fun, um, and it it strangely does still work. Like this plotline probably shouldn't work. You've got most of the uh, X-Men in the infirmary. You've got these weird sort of snobby rich kids becoming a a version of the original five. Um, You've got this revenge plotline where Emma has essentially selected the devil on her shoulder and the angel on the other. Uh, And it all does sort of tie together and work pretty well. Would you agree? I think the story mostly works i think i think the the fraction run as a whole on uncanny x-men is pretty mixed and fraction is a writer that i absolutely love he's written my favorite comic book of all time so i like the dude Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't get it twisted that fraction very good i got scared to take a picture with him at a con once (laughs) and instead i went and ate hot dogs with friend of the show luke hair okay uh yeah, it was him and uh, him, him and uh, him and Chip Zdarsky. So that would have been a very good selfie, and I got very, very stage fright. I'm bad at cons. I've not told this story, and it's also relevant to this uh, issue, and I think it'll pivot us in a good direction. So may I tell it? Yeah, go for it, man. At that con, I got one of Matt Fraction's issues that I had bought off the shelf when I was before I'd really started getting comics, but it was like the first modern X Men comic I ever bought. Uh huh. 
I got him to sign it at that con, and he was very nice. Fraction's a nice guy. Uh, a year and a half before that, at my local con, uh, Greg Land was there. Uh-huh. And I brought that comic, but I was too intimidated by Greg Land to get it signed. Hmm. Interesting. I was scared. I was scared of embarrassing myself in front of Greg Land, which okay. at this point is absolutely wild to think about. <laughs> um, well, I will say that Greg's art is um, at times a, a real challenge in this story. And in other times, I think it looks really great. I, you know, it, it goes back and forth from being something that I think is really, really well done to something that it's like, what is he doing with these facial expressions? It's very, very interesting the way that he he does the acting of the characters in his story. You know, as I mentioned before, characters smile in scenes where you're not sure why they would be. There's poses that they are got just... really weird smiles, too. And that's a that's a constant, even in a good Greg Land comic. Yes. Yeah. You want everyone to be frowning because if they start smiling, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, there are just some really fun things in here, though. You know, the, the whole idea that the story culminates with a party in which everybody is using five-hour energy drinks to turn themselves into members of the x-men to fight the x-men i i don't know it there's Explicitly something kind not of, adam x though right yeah that's that's a great little moment but i love the you know the little packaging on the on the bottles it's fun there's some there's some really silly fun stuff here that does still work you can become one of the UX-Men, which is the new X-Men logo, but branded <laughs> by a tech company, which is pretty good. Yeah. Cyclops Cyclops breaks down uh, the walls of the party with a flamethrower and Wolverine's holding steak knives, while Colossus just has a big old friggin' hammer. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. There's some, there's some legitimately good stuff. I actually like the idea of the spoiled rich kids with mutant inhalers. Like... I want that at the end of the story, uh, you get a character. She was the angel of the spoiled rich kids, and she just has all the extra inhalers, five hour energy shots, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it like it's a thread that says, hey, we could come back to this. She would be fascinating because she's not even a villain. She likes the X-Men. She thinks they're really cool. Uh, She's just using their culture as dress up. And Cyclops does not like that. Well, it's funny. I think it would be great. It would be. And I think it would work really well um, if it had gone in tandem with. uh, Do do you remember in the Uncanny Avengers arc when they turned Avengers Mansion into like a cosplay hotel? Did you did you ever read that into a weird sex hotel? Well, I I wasn't going to go there, but but I I just think that it was a sex hotel. Can't (laughs) even pretend that was what they were doing. There was some parallels, you know, between those two ideas. And I I think, uh, you know, it, it lends itself to being comedic but it still works um as a premise i think it's saying something about each one of these stories that there's something i'd love to bring back in each of them like i think there's in every one of these there is a nugget of a super good idea Mm -hmm. yeah executions all over the place but i think there's there's like a concept that's like wow why don't we why don't we still do that? Yeah, I don't know. I had fun reading this. I thought it 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 has the same kind of 
light tone of humor that you might find in Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. Um, Loeb is just patently silly as a villain. Um, and I enjoyed reading it. Um, even if it wasn't like, you know, the best or, or the, you know, most classic X-Men story of all time. I'm having trouble thinking about what I would compare this to though on the list. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one to kind of pat down because there's interesting elements like, even the stuff where the plot isn't great, like the replacement X-Men, yeah. where there's not any real good plot, the character work, especially between Dazzler and Pixie, is fun. Yeah. No, they, you know, they're, they're kind of like bonding as they go. They're making witty jokes about Dazzler's last album or um, Pixie's Welsh slang. You know, it's it's well written, I think. Um, it, it's very tidy. It is it's tidy. very tidy. Tidy. Um, at 141, we have the Children of the Atom uh, arc, which did have some replacement X-Men. Is this better or worse than that? I like this better than that. Okay. I, right. I think this is better than that. I think this is better than like 135, the X-Men versus the Avengers. I was just looking there. I think I think that's true, too. How high are you willing to go? I don't think it's as good as 128, which is the... A plus X, Iron Fist and Dupe, and Loki and Sinister Story, that which might, is another thing that Kieran Gillen worked on. Yeah, that might be a good ceiling. I do think that this is better than uh, Chamber Fighting X, uh, Omega Red, and Gen X ten to twelve or ten to eleven. Would you agree with that? Ooh, mm. no, I'm I'm mixed on that. You're partial. Okay, I think I think I know for sure that it's better than one thirty three, Astonishing X Men Exalted. Mm-hmm. And it's probably better than the first issue of X-Men ever. I would agree. <laughs> like, let's be let's be fair. Uh, so that puts it between that issue of Wolverine where he goes to a bar and confesses himself to Nightcrawler mm-hmm. and the murder grandpas. Uh, no, wait, the Freedom Force story that no one that I can't even remember what happens. And I did a whole episode on it. <laughs> so it's probably better than 130. All right. So it probably is our new 130 if we don't want to put it above Gen I'm, X 10 and 11. I'm going to say don't put it above Gen X because, look, we didn't harp on it. The art's bad. This may be the worst Greg Land art on X-Men. Like, I think Greg Land has done some pretty decent stuff. I like his stuff on some books. This may be his worst showing. Hey, he's a talented guy. It's just that the, and it's, you know, page layouts are great detail the way yeah, the way I, he draws I, it's I've really really good years. it's just you know there's these distractions in the way in which he draws women and the way in which he draws facial expressions that take you out of the story he's a very talented guy that you know has a distracting style i've said for years give greg land a transformers book there you go and watch that thing go buck wild because <laughs> he can draw cars really well like yeah uh, Let not, him draw monsters, this, you know. Let him... Monsters and cars and just not people. Yeah. He'll be great because he can tell a really good story. Like, Greg Land is one of those creators that I would love to talk to. I would love to get his ear for like an hour and just talk to him about X-Men and his style and all this stuff. Because I think he would be incredibly fascinating. He's kept to himself for pretty reasonable reasons considering the internet does not like him and the internet's a bad place and yet he just completed uh you know a a pretty fun arc on astonishing um 
his art on Astonishing was pretty good. It was. Not perfect, but pretty good. All right. So are we putting this at 130? Is that is that what's happening? I think we now? are. All right. Uncanny X-Men Quarantine is at 130. Nice. And that's a good list. Yeah. I think, I think if not all good, every story here was interesting enough that if you've got some time, pick it up, take a look. You'll Definitely. find something to like. Definitely. All right. I'd like to thank Mike Rappin for going over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files one last time. He uh, he suggested a story that made this whole episode, and that's pretty neat. Uh, if you want to be like Mike, you can do the same thing. Go to that URL. If you pitch in at the $2 a month level, you can get a uh, an episode crafted around your decision. I can tell you, slots are filling up. We're Getting into May, June time frame. Wow. We're getting to the wow. point where I have to bookmark where the 100th episode is going to be, which is weird to think about. <laughs> but if you don't want an episode, uh, if you pitch in at like the $1 a month level or higher or lower or whatever, uh, you can get a couple of different features uh, like early access to what books we're going to be covering each week in the uh, Battle of the Atom book club. So you can... See what we're going to covering and read along and know what we're talking about as we're talking about it while you're listening to it in your earphones. Or a new feature that's been rolled out is a monthly Q&A session where I'm going to be uh, answering your questions over a live video chat. And uh, that's going to be exclusive for Patreon patrons uh, at least for a while. I haven't decided if it's just going to be like a timed until the next one comes out. You guys get it exclusively or if it's going to be just for you. Maybe let me know how you feel about that. I don't care either way. If people want to see me talk for a half hour, more power to them. Weird (laughs) choice on your part, but, you know, you do you. Uh and if you like any of this stuff, you can go over to XavierFiles.com. That's where I have all the episodes. That's where I have uh, some news articles that if you're a major comic book news site, you can definitely uh, legally get, which has happened. Uh, or I'm, I'm bitter. I'm sorry. I shouldn't bring this stuff up. <laughs> it makes me sore on the inside. Uh so you can do that, or you can just, like, there's stuff. I got articles. I got I got cool things going on there. Uh, we just put up a really fun joke article about a retcon about the death of Wolverine. <laughs> that was um, funny. It was. It was all references to a podcast I don't think you listened to, Adam. <laughs> no, which, but I still thought it was funny. <laughs> which is great. Which is absolutely great. Uh, anyway, Adam, what you got going on? Where's your Where's your stuff? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. New pages of uh, Bish and Jubes Attack on the Mansion every X Men Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, I think we're going to be wrapping that up somewhere in early March, maybe the end of February, somewhere in there. We're, we're getting to the end. Um, and I just started a Patreon. So if you want to support, you can get over to uh, patreon.com slash adamrec. Zach, where can people find you? Well, I already said that. Did you? I'm I'm yeah, missing cues, man. It's right. okay. It's okay, Adam. This part of the show's autopilot for both of us, and we <laughs> both understand it. That's fine. You... Uh, all right. Yeah. That was a good episode. We're good. I liked all that stuff. Good good episode. Uh next week, uh, we have a whole episode. I guess the theme is cable. Pew pew. But these are not the cable stories I think anyone would pick if they were doing No. If you're going to go with your top three cable stories, it does have a story I really like. So we're going to get to it. Uh, 
But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survive the experience.